0: From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mum always said life was like a box of chocolates. The force will be with you. Always.
1: I'm my number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my flesh is creeping just to hear that. Uh. It's Simon Rose here. We are going to be talking about the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. So, James, I actually dared to take a holiday last week, so we didn't talk last week. It's been a a fortnight. Has anything happened in my absence? I was in the Peak District. I did think I'd go to the cinema, because several things you've recommended recently I do want to see, but the Peak District is not very well endowed with cinemas. Uh,
0: I would believe that, actually. Not that I know the Peak District that well.
1: Interesting, some of the towns there have little cinemas, um, which tend to show art house things. N- because of digital, it is now yes. much easier. The number of places you go where there are small, small cinemas that either didn't exist before or have not existed for many years. I think of having been to Ilkley not like long ago, where there was a wonderful cinema. You know, you could have food and drink at the table and everything. It was absolutely absolutely charming. So much a sort of counterblast to the uh, rather soulless multiplexes we're used to in the big cities. Anyway, uh, cinema, I'm sure, has gone on in my absence. Um Well,
0: indeed. And to recap from last week, uh, the weekend saw a drop of 27% from the previous weekend. Mm -hmm. However, let's start with good news. In spite of the heat wave, there was a 55.1% increase on the previous weekend. Last frame that we're covering. Mm. Thanks largely to one big new film and a Marvel blockbuster no less, mm. which over the weekend took five point eight million pounds. That's an over nine thousand pound average from six hundred and thirty five screens. That's, That's pretty really decent good. That's decent for normal times. Well yeah, and this is just the weekend sign. Mm. so,
1: so what yeah is it's it?
0: really really good news what is the film Chongzi and the legend of the ten rings uh, now you may remember that on the last show i reviewed a film called snake eyes g.i joe origins I for do me remember. well the wall-to-wall combat became more than a little tiring which was why i was rather dreading the kung fu heavy Zi and the legend of the Ten Rings. And I was not disappointed. Another origin story, this time of a martial arts maven from China. It's two and a quarter hours of endless combat and CGI. The thing everybody is talking about, however, is that it's the first Marvel film out of 25 to feature an Asian superhero. Although not to be too cynical, I suspect Disney would have liked a bite of the Chinese market, although it has yet to secure a Chinese release. The rumor is that the original Shang-Zi, who first appeared in the comic strip back in 1973, was conceived as the son of Fu Man Shu. An eastern stereotype, <laughs> yes, still unforgiven by many Chi- Chinese. So, I mean, Disney were really hoping to sweep up, as you know, uh, China made more money at the box office last year than any other market. Mm. So, anyway, um, but here, Shung Zi is actually the son of Shu Wen Wu, played by Tony Lung, one of the most successful Asian actors in mm. the world. Who's been behind a lot of war? uh, Wen Wu, the character he's playing, has been behind a lot of war crimes and atrocities for the last one thousand years or so. He has been bestowed with the power of the Ten Rings, which he wears as bracelets, five on each forearm, which gives him eternal life and unlimited power. But he wants even more. But more than anything else, he wants to be reunited. With his wife, his late wife, who he believes is locked in a portal within a portal. Now there is a lot of backstory which I won't go <laughs> right. into until we even get to Shung Zi, who is now working as as a car valet in an upscale San Francisco hotel, played by uh, Simon Liu and. Uh, he is quite affable. But for me, what made the film worth sitting through for two and a quarter hours is Orquafina as Katie, his best friend. And he, he finally is uh, he's attacked on a bus in San Francisco for a pendant, a jade pendant necklace that he's wearing around his neck. And Orquafina, his best friend, mm. uh, she, she's always leaving him leading him astray and not a very good influence. Is amazed suddenly for uh, him, Shongzi, to reveal his extraordinary fighting capabilities. But even so, his jade pendant is ripped off his neck. And so he goes to Macau to try and retrieve it. And that's where we learn about the fact that his father is still there, the eternal um, Tony Lung, Shu Wen Wu. And so it goes there are dragons, uh, there are endless fights incidentally i reckon somebody at marvel has a huge affection for jonathan glazer's film sexy beast Mm -hmm. which starred both it was a good film yes yes but hear me out it starred both ray winston and ben kingsley at the top of their form i've already expressed my misgivings about ray winston's performance in marvel's black widow i remember And here, Bane Kingsley pops up as a sort of court jester figure and failed actor with an an extraordinary Liverpudlian accent, which is abysmal. And for comic effect, he's accompanied by a furry footstool footstool with wings called Morris, who chirrups away in a series of bleeps believed to be beloved of children. Uh, Bleeps that Kingsley's jester can apparently interpret into English. And yet, in spite of these child-friendly concessions, I found the later scenes of Shung Zi and the Legend of the Ten Rings uh, really quite frightening. Um, <laughs> I mean, these are we're talking about demons from hell here in all their CGI glory, probably terrifying for anybody under the age of 15. Mm. And so yet, James, doesn't what, sound like one to, to add to man. my list. Oh, well, well, no, have talked about,
1: We've talked many times about how we we feel the BBFC is rather more lenient to big, massive films than they often are to homegrown product. Um, well, I've had plenty of experience with that myself. Um, OK, so you're obviously not massively keen on this, even though it is sweeping all before it at the box office. Yes, uh, it, it's yeah. Marvel. Oh, people love Marvel. And I must say, though, while the Peak District was not necessarily... R- absolutely jam-packed with cinemas, it was jam-packed with cinema making. It was extraordinary. So shortly sure, oh, really? before I went up, if you go online and look at the Mission Impossible stunt with the steam locomotive, they use a disused quarry up there to, to crash a steam locomotive from Mission Impossible. Are they up to seven now? I think it's seven. And in three different places when we went around, there were masses of um, film vehicles recording or filming different things to do with um, Mission Impossible. Um, Gosh. So clearly, dry stone walls are going to be... I don't know how dry stone walls are going to be part of the new Mission Impossible film, but unless they CGI... It, them out, it could really only be that part of the world. And apparently there's a Game of Thrones prequel called House of the Dragon More Dragons, um, which is filming up there as well. Um, so oh. quite extraordinary. Everywhere we went, this really quiet countryside, and suddenly all these massive security people and all these location fans. Anyway, so that is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings Um. He's... Or shang I'm Xiong sorry, okay. There is
0: fine. actually a scene where he keeps on trying to explain to Awkwafina. <laughs> so it's shang and she just can't get it because she's yeah, okay. an American well, okay. Asian. I'm not going to uh, go. Okay, yeah. so what uh, what Xiong do we talk Z. about next? Uh, number two, everybody's favourite film at the moment, Three Guys, what, it's what they call me, actually, at my most... Local, multiple <laughs> whenever I turn up. Well, that's the one certainly that I do want to see. So that's number two in the in, chart. Indeed, yeah, that was number one the previous weekend. It's down forty-one percent, but it does have a very handsome thirteen point three million quid in the bank, which, mm-hmm. considering it's not allied to any franchise and it's not a sequel or a remake, is really impressive. Which may oh, explain awesome. why Ryan Reynolds is getting twenty million a movie. Hmm. Um. I've just thought we're
1: probably going to be going to another film review, so aren't we? So is now a good moment for us just to take a very quick breather.
0: Well, that's really up to you, Simon. Uh, Then I think we will.
1: Okay. Well, then I will.
0: Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio.
1: taken our obligatory pause in the middle James, I can now relax um, knowing that if the film next review is long it will not be a problem, so number two is Free Guy, what do we well, have? Well we on?
0: have to talk about Candyman uh, and this is where it gets confusing, unlike The Suicide Squad which is a yes. sequel to Suicide Squad <laughs> Candyman, without a definite article is a direct <laughs> sequel to Bernard Rose's Candyman released here back in 1993 which was a time when we used to get films wow. half a year behind their american i you used to get the same prints didn't we well yeah often tell yeah, yeah. yes uh, but of course well in the us candy man was a 1992 release um mm-hmm. be that it's As it may, in this day of piracy and shifting lockdowns, we have got the new Candyman directed by Nia DaCosta. Remember that name uh, on the same day as the U.S., August the 27th, when it became the first time that a chart topping film had ever been directed by a woman of color. Not only that, but Nia DaCosta, who is 31, is also the youngest director ever to helm a Marvel blockbuster, namely The Marvels, which opens here November the 11th and stars mm. Brie Larson as Carol Danvers, AKA Captain Marvel. All good news for Nia DaCosta, who previously directed the highly acclaimed crime thriller Little Woods, starring Tessa Thompson and Lily James. But back to the new Candyman, about a bogeyman who will come and get you if you stare in the mirror and say his name five times. In the original, Tony Todd had the title role, which was extremely rare for a black actor to take center stage mm. in a mainstream horror film. That is, outside the arena, of course, of black exploitation. In a way, black exploitation has a new face, and his name is Jordan peel who co-produced and with nia de costa co-wrote the new Candyman, to add to his his goodie tray that obviously also includes get out and us both superlative examples of the horror genre jordan peele has also directed a third horror film called nope due to open (laughs) next year which stars daniel kaluuya the oscar-winning daniel kaluuya Kiki Palmer and Stephen Yun, and I just can't wait. But back to Candyman. Between you, you and me, I've had it up to here with horror sequels, and I was actually dreading this. But it was the only new release showing at my multiplex, so I found myself duty bound. Mm. And like practically ever every horror film ever made, Neo da Costa's Candyman opens with the standard prologue. And I was not impressed. However, as soon as the film skipped to the present day and Leah De Costas upside camera gave us a fresh view of Chicago's skyscrapers, I found myself being drawn in. In a nutshell, the film concerns Anthony McCoy, played by Yahya Abdul Mateen II, who you would have seen in the trial of the Chicago Seven, who plays a cocky visual artist whose girlfriend Brianna, Teona Paris, runs an upscale art gallery. When Brianna's brother, Troy, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, who happens to be born in London, uh, the actor, that is, he relates the macabre tale of Candyman. So Anthony is inspired by the tale. And to fuel his dwindling artistic mojo, he heads off to the housing projects where Candyman was said to roam. While well, Candyman, the film that is, never entirely sheds its genre trappings. That is, I never really cared for these characters. It is nonetheless deeply unsettling, largely because what we don't see, than by what we do. It's also a savvy commentary on race, gentrification and art, things one really doesn't expect to come across in horror films. Mm-hmm. Above all, though, Nia da Costa reveals an extraordinary eye. And in her, in its own way, really, her Candyman is another modern horror classic. And it's, this black blaxploitation, re- I mean, the, of course, I keep on banging on about Antebellum, which is another terrific yes. one. And, of course, Get Out Us, and, and Now This, and... An English example would be His House, which you can now see on Netflix. Mm. An interesting companion piece to Candyman is Sweet Girl, if you get it. Candyman, Sweet Girl, which was released on Netflix around the same time. Well, maybe a week earlier, but <laughs> I, I may have time or I may well, not talk you, about uh, that briefly yeah. afterwards. I mean,
1: as you know, I'm, uh, horror is not my favourite genre because you made me see Get Out and it was an absolutely superb film, but I'm still too
0: nervous to see us um where do we go now okay well let's nip down the chart at number four we've got paw patrol the movie which was at number three down 17 percent so the kids well a lot of children still haven't gone back to school number five jungle cruise which was holding really strongly at number five which of course is the african queen with bigger muscles and special (laughs) effects Mm. with a total of 11.8 million pounds Down 34%. The Suicide Squad at number six. Was at number six, holding very strong. Madly inventive, witty, gory, and above all, entertaining sequel to the disappointing Suicide Squad of 2016. And Margot Robbie and Idris Elba rock. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seven, we've got the animated Croods 2, A New Age, Nicolas Cage as a Neanderthal. What can I say? Number eight, Space Jam, A New Legacy, down 30%. Was at number eight, still at number eight. I wish it dropped off the chart entirely. Mm. What a mess of a film. Number nine, People Just Do Nothing Big in Japan, down two spots, down 49% in box office takings. We have a new film at number 10, Rise of the Foot Soldier. Origins, another Origins Mm. film. With a site average of 506 quid, all about how a gang of unsavory thugs got their act together in the Essex underworld with supporting muscle supplied by Craig Fairbrass, Keith Allen, Vinnie Jones, <laughs> and Michelle Collins. So it gives you an idea of the sight, type of caliber of this film.
1: <laughs> what I was going to say is quite a few names that one hasn't heard for a little while. <laughs> Okay. Uh,
0: Bizarre. Bizarre. Uh, Have you seen that yet? Oh, uh, Simon? Uh, No, it hasn't come near (laughs) me. Oh, okay. okay. Very few... I mean, there's only seems to have been one new film opening at my multiplex a week, because they've got all these films which they're now holding over, and they're Mm. making money, so there's no point in buying into uh, more than one new film. But... However, I did something very unusual last week. I walked into a charity shop, picked up a copy of Ruby Sparks and watched it that night. I always felt that Ruby Sparks was my kind of film, as it's about a writer who falls in love. Something both you and I, I expect, can identify with. In this case, it's Paul Dano, who plays a golden boy who wrote the great American novel at the age of 19 and spent the next 10 years wrestling with writer's block. He's then told by his therapy, therapist, played by Elliot Gould, on excellent form, I should add, to take on a writing assignment and try writing something bad. This is a new film. As I've seen this, I think, yes. Well, yes, yes. as I say, yes. I, I, yes. I picked it up in a charity shop Oh, I was just spent- desperate for something. And I'd heard good things about it, probably from you. I, I remember it being
1: good God gosh there's another there was another film about writers that was also quite clever earlier than that. Um oh god it's gonna come in a minute. Um Stranger Than
0: Fiction? Thank you very much indeed. Yes. With Will Ferrell? Yes, yes. So I yeah, do yeah. tend to it, like it did remind me about, it. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think Ruby Sparks was quite as good, but it was very from
0: what I remember, very enjoyable. Paul Dano, wasn't it? Is that here? Yeah, Paul no, Dano yeah, Dano, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. So inspired by a dream, his Calvin starts bashing out the second novel that Elliot Gould, his therapist, says write something bad because he hadn't been able to write anything for 10 years and now he's 29. And uh, he bashes out the second novel about a 26 year old painter called Ruby Sparks from Dayton, Ohio, who loves a young writer with writer's block. When Calvin finds Ruby downstairs in his kitchen for real, he knows that he's going mad until she casts her charm over him and his brother and his mother and his friends. The film is actually scripted by Zoe Kazan, who plays Ruby. And it does rather paint itself into a corner while making perceptive statements on love, writing, and the status quo. If it, it, taken as a thoughtful, romantic fantasy, it works as a treat, largely because it, it's funny as well as wacky. And to add to the neatness of the package it's directed by the real life couple jonathan dayton and valerie farris who made little miss sunshine which featured paul dano and a year later dano met his life partner zoe kazan who wrote oh, I is Bart. That. oh yeah oh, right. in fact it's all terribly incestuous kazan's own mother robin Swicord, was credited with writing the screen story to the curious case of benjamin button which was based on a short story by F. Scott Fitzgerald after whom Calvin in Ruby Sparks names his dog. Anyway, in spite of that, Ruby Sparks is essentially a romantic fantasy. It has some very subtle touches that makes it feel quite real in spite of that. Uh, On at least three occasions, characters ask for a line of dialogue to be repeated, which you don't often hear. But that is just like in real life. Mm-hmm. In fact, when Elliot Gould, as the therapist, asks Calvin to speak up, it made me think that there's a great film to be made about a therapist who's hard of hearing. <laughs> there are also sharp supporting turns from Steve Coogan and Alia Shawkat, along with stellar support from Antonio Banderas and Annette Bening. Above all, though, it reveals the possibility of what cinema is capable of now i know we're about to run out of time and i did mention sweet thing which i thought was a nice um titular companion piece to candy man it is on netflix and is it the same genre Uh, uh, that's horror like candy man sweet no it's an action thriller oh Uh, right
1: sorry i thought it was uh, actually trying to get in ahead of candy man at the box office
0: No, no, it stars Jason Momoa as an exceptionally big man with exceptionally long hair, and it all starts quite well, I thought, with edgy camera work and a persuasive score from the Oscar-winning Nottingham-born Stephen Price. The villain here is BioCrime, a pharmaceutical giant that has just developed a generic drug called Spiro, which will be able to cure the rare type of cancer from which Jason Momoa's wife is suffering. Mamea, who previously played Aquaman, plays Ray Cooper here, a survival expert and not the sort of man you would want to mess with. So when BioPrime decides to withdraw Spiro from the marketplace, just when Cooper's wife needs it the most, he rings the company's CEO live on CNN and threatens his life should he not reverse his decision. Well, Ray's wife does, in fact, die. I don't think I'm revealing anything mm-hmm. here. It's it's all quite gut-wrenching stuff, and there's nothing like Big Pharma in this day and age to make a suitably, suitably hissable villain. And the film's other big plus is the presence of Isabella Merced as Ray Cooper's daughter, the actress who starred in Dora and the Lost City of Gold and previously went by the name of Isabella Mona. She was also very good in Instant Family in Sicario 2 Soldado. Six months pass since the death of Ray Cooper's wife and he gets a call from a journalist and he's invited onto the subway and he's followed at a distance by his daughter who is, I believe she's 18, but she looks 16. Isabella Merced Mas- is actually 20. And he's the journalist who has some big news about bioprime and the pharmaceutical um, corruption, is suddenly knifed by an assassin and Mm. the film takes off. And basically it's Jason Momoa and his daughter on the run. And I thought it was a perfectly serviceable Netflix thriller until in the last third, the film completely pulls the rug from underneath the viewer's feet, which enraged me. I was really quite enjoying this film, particularly the performance of Isabella Merced, who I think is always terrific. And Jason Momoa's got charisma to spare. Mm. But I was very, very disappointed by the last third. Because it was fine as it was. I'm
1: sorry to hear that uh, but I'm glad you, you mentioned Ruby Sparks I think I would quite like to rewatch that I shall have to see if I've got it otherwise I shall also have to go hunting in a charity shops <laughs> uh, James, thank you very much indeed that's it for this week for The Business of Film James Cameron Wins will be back at the same time next week
0: All my life I've been waiting for someone and when I find her she's she's a fish You're tearing me apart! Why so serious?